Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis City Odd Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Join the revolution, which will be televised and podcasted. I'm co-host Chris Mumford, known as The Professor at UNC Chapel Hill. My co-host, Daniel Prock, whom we call 009 because he is a debonair current pro striker at the Raleigh Bureau. Chris, I still haven't figured out how you came up with that cool nickname. Uh, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Serie A podcast. We're joined by Coach Steve Coleman, whom we call the mailman because he always delivers all the way from Wellington, New Zealand, where it's 7.30 a.m. So welcome back and good morning, Steve. Morning, Danny. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. And uh, we also like to welcome our analyst, Tom, from the London Bureau. He's an absolute football manager maniac, but also, according to his friends, he is an exemplary attitude. So that's why we call him Model Citizen. What's up, Tom? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, this weekend, we'll finally get to watch some action from our Serie A teams. But uh, before the league restarts, we'll be able to enjoy some uh, appetizers with the second legs of the Coppa Italia games, uh, the semifinals. On Friday, we'll have Juventus against Milan, starting from a one-to-one aggregate. And on Saturday, we'll have Napoli against Inter, starting from a one-to-zero aggregate for the Partenope. So Coppa Italia is quite a big deal because besides uh, the prestige of the, of the trophy, winning it guarantees an automatic spot for the Europa League next season. So why don't we go ahead and we look at uh, what to expect from uh, these games, starting with uh, Friday's game between Juventus and uh, AC Milan. Uh, we know that we're still four days away from, uh, from the game, so ch- things can change for uh, Sarri and Pioli. But uh, this is what it should look like. So Juventus should play a 4-3-3 with a Buffon in goal. Uh, in the defensive line, we'll have from right to left, Cuadrado, De Ligt, Bonucci, Alexandro. Uh, the middle three will be Ramsey, Bentancur and Matuidi. And uh, on top, we should see Douglas Costa with uh, Dybala and Ronaldo. As far as AC Milan, we'll have Donnarumma in goal. Um, AC Milan will play a 4-4-2. With uh, Calabria, Kier, Romagnoli, and Laxalt, uh, they will be the back four. Chalanoglu, Kessi, Benasser, and Bonaventura, they will be the midfield. And the front two guys should be Ante Rebic and uh, Rafael Leao. So uh, before we get uh, into a deep analysis of uh, a deep preview of this game, why don't we look back uh, at the first leg, which was played in February? And Steve, what uh, should we expect from this game according to the to the first leg? Yeah, thanks, Dan. It seems such a long time ago now since we uh, since mm-hmm. we saw this game. But um, going back and reviewing it over the last couple of days, it's actually a bit of a stalemate. Uh, a little bit of action, a um, lot, lot of shots, but not too many kind of chances um, created that that, um, that genuine opportunities. But one of the big things that came out of it uh, was the baller's shift into into kind of either the False nine position or the top of the diamond, depending on depending on which way you want to um, turn that that kind of move. But he managed eighty passes in the game, but only three of them had um, a key rating to them, um, and his xG was was low down at zero point one, uh, which was a little bit unusual for him. He's very very active, but there wasn't a lot of um, 
kind of moments of of danger that he created. Um, the next part of it was Juventus actually pressed quite high, um, and certainly around their counter pressing with with Sarri's use of the counter press was was a big feature. Um, and actually, they recovered half of the balls that they actually went after um, in the in the Milan half, which was which was interesting to see. Um, and because of that, Milan actually went around the pressure uh, as opposed to through Juventus. Um, they, they made a specific uh, moment to target either side, but mostly Ronaldo. We know that Ronaldo's uh, defensive defensive structures are are uh, tolerated as opposed to he does his bit, but doesn't do uh, a hell of a lot. So you'll notice on the on the on the images on the left hand side that uh, down the down the right. Uh, 20 attacks and then uh, down the left um, 20 attacks so that so they went they went around as much as they went through um, and again Milan's high line uh, was was able to negate a lot of threat from Juventus because there was there was a lot of a lot of um, uh, times where Dybala gets the ball off the front and then, and then doesn't have necessarily the running in behind Costa Costa a little bit deeper, um, you know, helping out in the defensive line for Juventus, and then Ronaldo wanting the ball to feet a lot more these days didn't actually give them the threat in behind to to um, to work Milan's back line. So um, if we if we just go go through some images uh, for those watching, um, and I'll and I'll talk over the top for those for those listening. So one of the keys to Juventus uh, winning this game is definitely going to be trying to find the baller in that pocket again. Uh, with the Milan defence being stretched across the pitch by the two wide players, it will definitely be uh, lots of opportunities for him to get on the ball in this in this area. But the more they can push um, Milan back towards their own goal uh, to either get the ball to Ronaldo's feet or try and find Costa with, with supporting runners around them will be really key. Um, it's going to be a good opportunity to get Ronaldo closer close to the box and cutting in off that left hand side onto his onto his stronger side in front of the goal. So the more they can do this, the more opportunities they're going to get. I have a question for you, Steve. So it looks like Costa, Ronaldo, and DiBala will play on top uh, mm. in a three man uh, attack. Do you think mm. that DiBala will act as a false nine? Will he drop? How do you think that's going to look like? Yeah, I think that they were obviously uh, it was a it was a, a definite ploy for them to use that in the first leg uh, against Milan. Uh, whether he whether he chooses to to maybe leave Costa out and play Higuain uh, through the middle, um, and it switches to more of that diamond shape that they've used a little bit. But as we spoke about recently with Juventus, the last ten games they they've certainly played more of a four three three. So. I would expect to see him in a, in a similar position here uh, with Ronaldo off the left and, and Costa off the right uh, with Higuain probably coming off the bench if they need they need a bit, bit more of a focal point later on. And then one of the keys for Milan, as I spoke about earlier, would be to try and overload the, their fullback space. Um, Alexandro, especially uh, being on Ronaldo's side, uh, the, the ability to play through Ronaldo. Um, he certainly he does his part defensively, but He's not overly active. He tends to, to stand in a position and hope he's doing his bit. So they can play through him quickly um, into the midfield line and then and then create an overload against the Juventus fullback. They can get the fullback out of the line and it certainly creates opportunities for them to either get in behind uh, the fullback space or come back inside and then overload the, the two centre-back positions. Um, and if they can do that, depending on whichever side um, Ronaldo is on or whether it's Costa dropping too deep, uh, and encouraging the Milan fullback forward, then then they can certainly exploit those types of opportunities. But as I mentioned earlier, they tended to go round Juventus as opposed to through them uh, a lot in the in the first game. So expect to see more of that. Yeah, speaking of uh, of fullbacks, we know that um, AC Milan 
will not be able to count on Teo Hernandez, a left back who has really impressed this season. He's only 22 years of age, scored five goals in the league. Tom, uh, why don't you shoot me some data about uh, about this guy? Yeah, well, he's you know he's been pivotal towards their ball progression this season, as as we know, as as we'll discuss later on. Milan like to progress from deep through their fullbacks. So I'll just get up some data here. His progressive run distance per ninety per ninety minutes is two hundred forty-five meters on average, which is quite far. He's quite far ahead of second in the team as well at one hundred seventy-one meters. So he's pretty key in that aspect. He's been pretty solid defensively as well. Uh, 7.8 defensive duels per night at 58% success rate, which isn't outstanding, but, you know, it's solid. It's about league average, I would say. And then he's also, as you mentioned, that final third ability, seven goals and assists in the league this season. He's four for shots taken within fullbacks in the league as well. And the ones above him in that list are either set-piece takers or they're more like wing-backs. So, yeah, he's been vital to them this season. One of their best players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another player who will be missing uh, will be Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So, um, Steve, I know that your your next point will be about uh, mm. AC Milan threatening Juventus in front of the back line. How do you think that will play out without uh, such a big presence like Zlatan? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with his, with his absence. Um, Obviously, another key to the victory, once they've overloaded that, that fullback space, um, there's lots of opportunities for them to come back inside then into spaces created uh, in front of the Juventus back line where they drop a little bit deeper to, to protect the goal. So in the first leg with Ibrahimovic coming off the front to, to link the play together was a, was a real threat for them um, with runners coming inside. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this with this type of situation but whether they use kind of uh, more run, runs in behind with the, with the front two being a little bit more mobile than than the big man it'll be it'll be interesting to see but certainly that space in front of uh, the back four once they've gone around the press the pressure to go through them um, more higher up the pitch then I, then I think that'll be a real key for them yeah let me add a couple of thoughts to this preview so while Juventus can count on a full squad AC Milan are missing three key players. So we talked about uh, Hernandez, Zlatan, but also Samu Castillejo, the, the right winger. He has the highest number of key passes per 90 in the league. And uh, because AC Milan also crosses a lot, they actually cross more than, than Juventus. His uh, absence will certainly be felt. If you guys remember the first leg goal, it came off of a cross from, uh, from Castillejo. Mm. The, the second thing I wanted to say is that just remember that because of the first leg score, AC Milan is going to have to score at least a goal at, uh, away at the Juventus Stadium because a 0-0 draw will qualify Juventus thanks to the away goal rule. Uh, but we know that AC Milan has trouble scoring. They actually have the worst difference between expected goals and actual goals scored in the league. So they have scored 10.4 so they should have scored 10.4 more goals than what they actually have scored so far. Um, that's why uh, we're going to have Tom now dig deeper into uh, some of the problems that AC Milan has had this season and why not also some of the, um, of the key plays that uh, Pioli has introduced since uh, coming to the team. So yeah, we're just going to look at... The question we're going to look at at the end is, is Stefano Pioli... 
a short-term fix or a long-term candidate at AC Milan. Uh, and given the, the links to other managers, maybe that answers, maybe that question's answering itself, but we're going to discuss it either way. Uh, so we're just going to briefly discuss here the switch from Gianpaolo to Pioli. Obviously, we're looking at very small sample size here. Gianpaolo had seven games. He started off with a 4-3-1-2 with Suso at that cam roll, but it wasn't really working for him, and Suso was, he was not getting the best out of Suso. So he then switched to a 4-3-3. But then, I think, did he, did he win his last game, Gianpaolo, or did he lose his last game? Oh, I can't remember as of now. But he didn't, yeah, he didn't have a great win percentage and he was moved on. Uh, Pioli ran with the 4-3-3 for a while, but then when it, uh, Zlatan was introduced, he, uh, he preferred to play a 4-4-2, a 4-2-3-1, or in the first leg of this Coppa Italia match, they played a 4-4-1-1 with Chahonoglu behind uh, Zlatan. Uh, so generally, they improved defensively under Pioli, but the, their attacking threat was still very limited. Uh, as, and we're going to cover the defensive, uh, how they improved defensively under Pioli here. Sorry, let me let so, me chime in for a second. Uh, you can tell how Ibrahimovic and and Rabic, those two guys, they completely changed the the attacking uh, side of AC Milan. They're they're mm. big presences in the box, big guys. They they fight a lot, and they're also um, they act as uh, uh, they post up a lot, so they mm. allow the team to uh, take a breath and come up all together. But Chris, I wanted to, since you have a, a goalkeeper's past, I wanted to ask you something before Tom digs deeper into the uh, AC Milan defense. So on Friday, we're going to have uh, Donnarumma, AC Milan's keeper, uh, who is 21 years of age in his fifth season as a starting keeper for AC Milan. And on the other goal, we're going to have uh, Gianluigi Buffon, who's twice as old. He's 42. That's right. right, 42. What do you think about it, Chris? <laughs> uh, I will tell you, in my August years, uh, Daniele, I cheer for the old guy. Uh, so uh, I'll be cheering for Buffon. You know, he's not played that many games, less than 10. Uh, I think about seven matches or so. Uh, and frankly, he has um, uh, two more actual goals than his expected goals while he's at uh, his very young counterpart. Um, is pretty much pl his expected goals versus actual goals is, is pretty much on, on, on par. So um, my sense is, is that Donnarumma's uh, season is, is solid, not spectacular. Uh, and Buffon, you know, it's seven games is, is hard for, uh, for a keeper to get uh, into a rhythm on. Um, but, uh, hey, He's the old guy. I'm going to cheer for he him. He needs his rest. That's why he only played seven. <laughs> yeah. It's a hell of a victory lap. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Tom, and uh, talk, to, talk to us about uh, what has changed defensively when, uh, when Pioli came over. So, yeah, here we're just seeing uh, a clip from, well, not clip, a screenshot from when Milan beat Brescia 1-0 recently. Uh, and we can see here that the Brescia player is passing it to his teammate, and Rafa Liao is already pressing against that player, which is some, which is something we didn't really see under Gianpaolo. And we see it in the next slide as well. And then we just see again, uh, Tonali has passed it to his teammate on the wing here, and Conti is immediately pressing him. Uh, it just puts them under pressure and leaves them limited in their attacking options. Uh, before when Gianpaolo was here, the clear weakness was uh, they couldn't defend against width. 
So we can see two Fiorentina players here uh, linking up together. Uh, basically, Chiesa cuts inside and goes past the AC Milan defender and passes it on towards his teammate. Uh, and we can see here actually that Liao is coming back to defend here, but he's doing it so passively that it's not really adding any real value to the side. And then we'll see further on down the line that Chiesa does end up managing to get the ball inside the box and crossing it in for what could have been a, you know, a high-quality chance. It, this doesn't end up in a goal, but it could have been a goal for Fiorentina. Yeah, it seems like things never really clicked under under Gianpaolo. I mean, the, the manager had a great season the year before with uh, with Sampdoria. Mm. Um, I remember Quagliarella being able to score uh, almost 30 goals under yeah. his, his management. Um, I guess he wasn't given enough time maybe at AC Milan. That's a big problem for the club. They've changed so many coaches since uh, Carlo Ancelotti left. Mm. Well, I don't know if you saw that quote. Uh, what Champaolo said when he when he came into AC Milan, he said it it was as if they never had a training session together before. So there was clearly some underlying issues before he, he even got there, and he just couldn't fix them. And not in the time he was given anyway. Yeah, and there is this big question: Are, are the coaches just not good enough, or is AC are the AC Milan players just mediocre? Their quality is just not high enough to perform at the levels that we were used to, right? In the early yeah. 2000, the AC Milan would always get to the quarterfinals or semifinals of, uh, of Champions League. I don't know, Steve, what do you think? Is that a coach or, or more of a player's problem? Yeah, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question. I think that obviously the Milan of the early 2000s, you know, the 2005 sides, you know, Ancelotti very close to my heart with their midfield diamond and the, and the superstars that they had in that side. But they're, they're certainly not a, an AC Milan side that, that you can you can hold up as one of the best uh, that they've had in in certainly recent years, and obviously the the impact of European football or lack of it over the last three or four years has, has had a had a real uh, impact on on who they can bring in with either fi financial clout or the competitions that they're playing in. So what you're seeing now is is probably the the knock on effect of of those situations. You know whether a coach has enough time in seven games to to turn the corner. Um, I think if people are seeing improvements or people are seeing differences um, that then you, you get more time uh, but whether whether you have enough time in in the Italian game is is up for debate really but but what I will say is from the from what I saw early season compared to what we're seeing now there's certainly more more organized defensively there's there's less um, there's less lack of um, or more, sorry, more understanding of certain things that they do within the game in their in their defensive structure that that leads me to believe that they're they're turning yeah. a corner a little bit, but not, but still not scoring the goals that they perhaps should do. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to say it. One of the biggest problems has been that AC Milan has been missing those legendary players in the locker room. So even just when uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic came in the in this past winter transfer window. He, even if he's 38, he's maybe not as mobile as he used to be. He changed so much about the, the team spirit. And from a locker room perspective, you can tell how he, he's just making the people around him work more, being more motivated. Um, and having someone up there that is, as, is that big, is that important? Let me tell you, that just makes you go twice as fast, makes you run twice as much during a game. Because you know that you are you 
you know, in a way you cannot let him down, if that makes sense. Mm. Well, I think it's interesting because um, definitely last summer, I think the, the recruitment was going in the, uh, the right direction. So, you know, signing more younger players rather than going for, like, let's think about uh, Benucci a couple of seasons ago, going for him. But, you know, going for the younger players, building for the future, I think it's the, I think it's the right move for AC Milan. But bringing in Ibra was also the right move as well, because as you say, the locker room effect he has is just... Yeah, pretty substantial. Yeah. It's the only move though, isn't it? It's the only move if you can't attract the big names because of the competition you play in. Yeah. You can you can spin it any way you like, but you can only bring in the young ones if you don't have if you don't have the quality of football every every week in the Champions League, for example. Yeah, and they're dealing with financial issues as well, aren't they? So yeah, yeah it's tricky for them. Exactly. It's a it's a balance. You've got to have those seasoned players that uh, younger players look up to because otherwise, yeah, you, you can't really attract uh, foreign players into, into a team that has been playing Champions League for, I lost account, I don't know how many years now, but they have been out of that game for long. So, so Tom, talk to me about this, the style of play of AC Milan. Can you characterize that? So yeah, we just, um, just got a few points here. They like to play possession football via short passes. So, through, through an eye test, they're not very ambitious with their passing. Apart from, I would say, the fullbacks, they're quite progressive with their passing. But see a, a statistic here, passes between 5 and 25 yards. Um, AC Milan have 8,515. And Roma, who play a similar style of play, and if you've seen them, you know they play possession football with a high line, aggressive pressing. And they have 7,898 7, 7, passes uh, between 5 and 25 yards, which might suggest that Roma a bit more ambitious with their passing. Uh, AC Milan like to control the game in the opposition's half, which is you know supplemented by their high defensive line with aggressive pressing. And we'll see that the pressures in the final third for AC Milan are 1,105 and Roma have 801. So pretty comparable figures and Roma play a similar style of play, but they're doing a bit better in the league. Yeah, we'll just look at the strengths of AC Milan. And as we mentioned earlier, their strengths are mainly defensively. So they're very good at stealing the ball from opposition. Uh, they rank fifth in Serie A for tackles per game, which is pretty impressive considering they keep was it 54% possession on average. So to rank fifth in tackles per game, which is usually dominated by teams who have less possession, is a pretty impressive figure. Um, they're also quite good at defending set pieces. Uh, across the squad, they tend to have quite tall players, especially with Iba coming in. You know, Chao Noglu's fairly tall as a forward as well. Uh, also, they've got Ron Agnoli and all their def- defenders. And then a uh, keeper like Don Roma, who isn't outstanding, but he's definitely an above-average keeper, I would suggest. And finally, they, um, they're very good at ball gr- progression from deep, especially they like to emphasise the ball progression through their fullbacks. So we can see here, Davide Calabria completes... 9.5 progressive, pa- progressive passes per 90 minutes. If we compare that to Juan Cuadrado, who's seen as quite a attacking fullback in Serie A, he completes just 8.4 progressive passes per 90. And many people have argued that Calabria has had a bit of a poor season. Uh, so it, it, that just goes to show how how much of an emphasis there is placed on their fullbacks to progress the ball. Yeah, and yeah. that could be for um, for the next game. I mean, for the game against Juventus. Um, there have been talks about uh, Conti uh, playing mm. instead of Calabria. It all depends on whether Conti will be fit. 
but mm -hmm. uh, there's usually a rotation that uh, Pioli employs between uh, between the two. Yeah, I think I, if it was me, I would choose Calabria because I think he's more suited to a four-four-two, and Conti is typically used to playing further up the field as a wing back. And now, if we just look at their weaknesses of the side, uh, as we mentioned earlier, they've been poor going forward, but particularly poor with their finishing. Uh, Christoph Piontek, when he was here at the first half of the season, he had 7.52 expected goals, but only four goals from those expected goals. And I think when you look at expected goals per 90, this season at AC Milan, he had more expected goals per 90 than he did under Genoa last season. So it just goes to show he did have the chances. He just wasn't finishing them this season. Whether that be unlucky or poor finishing, that's up to you. Or the number nine jersey. <laughs> yeah, there's a number nine curse. I know, I know that at my club, Chelsea. Oh, it's, <laughs> a, it's a real thing for sure. <laughs> for those who don't know, the number nine jersey of AC Milan is supposedly cursed. So since uh, Inzaghi vacated that in uh, 2012, big players like Higuain, Pato, um, they have chose them. They have chosen it as their as their jersey, but they were never able to hold on to it for more than one season. So they either uh, they were basically uh, they transferred after one year of wearing the number nine jersey. Oh, and I forgot uh, Fernando Torres among among this list. <laughs> so yep. th that's why they're saying <laughs> that uh, the number nine jersey is just cursed. I guess it's supposed to be Filippo Inzaghi's jersey forever. <laughs> Well, players avoid it now, don't they? They they avoid using the number nine jersey just yeah, in case. Exactly. Um, Highly suggested to not pick it. Yeah, it's just the pressure, I think. Just just mm -hmm. the pressure. Um, yeah, if we look at a bit more of Aston Land's weaknesses as a, as a team, uh, they commit quite a lot of individual errors uh, going forward and defensively. So they they struggle to keep possession, uh, and uh, you'll see that they're. Unsuccessful touches per game is 17.1 across the starting 11, which is the highest within Serie A. So that is something they just need to work on. It's just their inability to work together as a side has been clear throughout the season. Uh, and finally, although they attempt to keep possession, uh, they actually struggle in this regard, particularly against sides such as Juventus, such as Roma. Uh, and their dispossessions per game is 10.1 across the starting 11, which is the fourth highest in Serie A. So it's just that cohesiveness that they they have lacked this season that's not helped them at all. Let so me go back to the point that uh, I think it's because you have really mediocre players. So we talked about how they try to uh, complete a lot of short passes, but at the same time, they make a lot of individual errors because they have the highest percentage of individual errors in the league mm. and they struggle to keep possession. So I think that this backs up my point that uh, the problem uh, are the players and, uh, and not the coaches. You just don't have the, the level of quality that AC Milan used to have back in the day. Well, then you can also look at it as um, some of the best coaches get the best out of bad players, don't they? We look at... You know, Antonio Conte, he's done this across his career. You think about Italy Euro 2016 side. He uh, he used some players which don't even get starts for their their team. And they did really well at Euro 2016. So you can look at it either way, I suppose. I'll just jump in there from a coaching perspective. Um, I think there's, if you go back to that first, I'd be really interested to, to understand where 
that they give the ball away um, mm. in, the, in, that, in those moments. So, from my, from my perspective as a coach, if you give the ball away 10 times in, in a game, but you're giving them away on the edge of your edge of your box when you're third, then that's a real issue. But if you're giving it away high at the pitch, you know, you, the, the potential is that you're trying to create opportunities. Mm. So, you know, that's that's one that's one area of the dispossessions. You know, I'd be interested to, to find out where 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 they give the ball away. And the same with the individual errors. But I think from a coaching perspective, there there's there's good coaching and bad coaching and it depends on like you say, whether you can get the best out of the players. And if you mm. don't have the players to, to build from the back or, or play through midfield or, or whatever, then then don't do that. And I think with with them what, what they've what they've shown is as you mentioned earlier with the fullbacks is that they, they go round the opposition a lot. Use the fullbacks to progress the ball forwards, um, try and go round opposition. So they, if they are giving the ball away in those areas, in the wide areas, and they're not necessarily conceding or getting hurt quickly from those from those possessions. So if he doesn't feel that he can build up through midfield, then then he's obviously going round. But at the same time, he is potentially getting the best out of the players he has. But let's be fair, this is Serie A. There's no bad players in Serie A, you know, comparatively speaking. It's just comparative to the quality he has. Maybe he's had to find a different way of doing things that than he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the pressure of being uh, the AC Milan coach makes you want to dominate the game or at least give the impression mm. that you're trying to do it. Uh, yeah. I don't know, several things uh, come into play here. But um, let's move on to the next uh, preview. So on Saturday, we're going to have uh, Napoli against Inter. Uh, they're starting from a 1-2-0 aggregate when uh, Fabian Ruiz scored, scored a curler at San Siro. Um, Steve, help us, uh, help us understand what to expect from, uh, from this second leg. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think I-, I don't know if you want to talk about your your um your man Caljon. I know you you've spent a bit of time doing some some digging around him um and whether he's going to be important to to the game to start with. Yeah, let's do that. Let me first uh talk about the lineup. So supposedly Napoli will start will play with a 4-3-3, which uh Gennaro Gattuso likes a lot. We'll have Ospina in goal. The back four will be Di Lorenzo, Maximovic, Koulibaly and Mario Rui. Deme, Fabian Ruiz, and Zeliski in the midfield. Callejon, Mertens, and Insigne on top. Uh, Inter will play with uh, Conte's trademarked 3-5-2. Andanovic in goal. D'Ambrosio, Skriniar, and Bastoni will be the back three. Kandreva, Barella, Brozovic, Sensi, and Ashley Young will be the midfield of five. And then Lukaku and Lautaro on top. Yeah, about Callejon. So he has significantly dropped... His uh, goal average in the past two seasons at Napoli. So right now he's scoring, his goal scoring frequency is about 0.1 goals per uh, 90 minutes uh, average. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's still a key player for, uh, for uh, Napoli because he has, uh, um, he assists 0.3 uh, times per 90 minutes. And uh, he's also third in the league for key passes per 90. So in terms of passing abilities, he still remains probably the most important player for Napoli. But he has been struggling to score, which, which is why also we have seen him being subbed off, especially in, in the most recent uh, Serie A games. Yeah, in the first leg, we actually <coughs> covered a bit of the first leg uh, last week in our Inter, in our Inter stuff, um, for those of you who listened. So it's a really interesting game, this one. Uh, so... The the difference between this game and the, and the game they played against each other in Serie A was was quite vast. Obviously, the result was was very different. But 
Um, so Napoli, uh, in terms of the passes per defensive action, we talked about this a lot last week. So passes per defensive action is is the amount of passes that the opposition make um, in their in their first sixty percent of the pitch. So their first two thirds. Um, in terms of how many how many passes are made uh, from a from a pressing action. So Napoli were down at six. Uh, which quite which is quite low, which means they potentially pressed it a lot higher up the pitch than than um, than not. Whereas Inter was down at 16, which which tells you that they they potentially dropped off a little bit more um, and allowed allowed Napoli to come onto them. Um, the knock-on effect for this was you know the the counter-attack inside of things uh, was a, was a real issue for Inter. They rely heavily on Lukaku and Martinez in in, in that moment. So um, trying to create those those moments of counter-attack are. Are, are limited if, if they're going to sit a little bit deeper potentially. Um, whereas interestingly in the game in Serie A, into one three one, and their their passes per defensive action was a lot lower, um, and and the goals came from counter attacks. So so it'd be interesting to see what Conte does this time around. Whether he decides he wants to come and press a little bit higher like they have done previously, or whether whether they're just going to sit off and and uh, defend a little bit deeper. Uh, as we talked about last week, sometimes um, with the Napoli build up. The ability for them to drag into to one side and affect the wing-back space either in front or behind it um, was, was a real issue for them. So it'll be interesting to see how Conte challenges that that side of things. Um, and Napoli's commitment to building out from the back is is obviously a real, real, really fundamental to the way they play. So even in the last game, 26 times under pressure to establish their attacking moment. So expect to see a lot more of Napoli trying to build from the back, using the uh, the deep line midfield players to, to help in that moment to try and stretch into across the pitch. Um, and when they're able to establish possession, the midfield three um, that, that Danny mentioned earlier, they made 191 passes between them uh, with a 92% completion rate. So it just it just goes to show you that how dominant they were in that, in those moments uh, and whether Inter can, can change that and whether they're going to sit deep to to absorb some pressure and then find Lukaku and Martinez on the counter or whether they're going to come higher and press. They've, they've done both in, in both games this year and it'll be interesting to see which way they, they decide to go. So, yeah, we just move on me, and have a look. Go on, go on, Danny. Sorry, let me say something about, about your point about, the, about Napoli's passing abilities. We have uh, Fabian Ruiz who has uh, the second most passes per 90 in Serie A and you know who the first is. The first one is Napoli's left-back Mario Rui Mm-hmm. Um, and also Fabian Ruiz has the, the most passes in the final third, which just adds to the fact of uh, how dangerous this guy is with, uh, with his passing skills. Yeah, and if you have the ability to play through teams with, with him or you have the ability to play around teams, um, then, then it gives you so, much, so many different uh, strings to your bow in terms of the way you can attack. Um, and that they use either one depending on, depending on what the opposition provide in terms of a, a threat. So. So in terms of the Napoli key to victory, it's really important for them that they can pin into back um, in their defensive line of five with minimal numbers. So that limits the collective press and opportunities that, that Inter can can use. Um, and when the win-backs are in the line of five and they're being pinned in by the two Napoli wide players with potentially Mertens off the front and into, into the midfield line to, to overload that area, there are times in... in in the first leg, for example, where that, where Napoli created a five versus three in the midfield, uh, but a two versus five in the in the top line. So that means that the the wing back can't get out and press uh, out the pitch to press the fullback, for example. So then it, it limits the the amount of times they can they can move themselves up the pitch. But also it, it creates so many opportunities for Napoli to dominate the the midfield area, as we spoke last week about Lukaku 
um, and Martinez at the top. Once they play round or through those guys, then you have this this overload situation in the midfield. So one of the keys is is for Napoli to be able to push into back and um, into their own third with potentially up to up to five players defending only two wide players. Yeah, Napoli is probably the worst team for a uh, for Inter to face because, like you said. Um, with their passing abilities and with their courage, because Gattuso always tries to uh, transmit this um, this idea of building out from the back. Um, Inter is gonna is going to have to struggle. Like you pointed that out in the in the show last week, that Napoli is able to stretch them, create two v ones on the sides, or like in the case that you're gonna discuss now, three v twos offensively. Yeah, so so when Napoli are able to do that, you, you find that to to press the ball and, and deal with the overload in the midfield, for example, that you, as I spoke about last week, you'll find that the centre back coming out of the line to press the the dropping forward off the front or or someone in midfield where they where they have more numbers. But the knock on effect is sometimes you end up in a situation uh, for those who can see on the screen now where you have a recovering wing back trying desperately to get back in uh, from pressing high up the pitch with one centre-back, with all three Napoli front players now attacking um, just two players. So the more times they can provoke into to pressing hard the pitch and forcing players out of position, the more opportunity they're going to have to actually hurt the opposition. So in the in the first kind of key point there, that's enabling them to dominate possession like they want to do, like Gattuso wants, wants to try and do all over the pitch. But to actually really create and hurt Inter it's going to be moments like this where they've provoked something that Inter don't really want to do, but they feel like they have to. And then the knock-on effect is they end up with with moments where they can really hurt Inter um, in in and around the, the back three, for sure. What, what about the keys for uh, for Contest 3-5-2? Yeah, so uh, for, for me, it's it's a real kind of flip-on-the-head type scenario. The, the higher up the pitch that um, Inter can get their win-backs in possession they can establish um, them higher at the pitch uh, to, for crossing opportunities. Obviously, the, the threat of Lukaku in the, in the centre of the pitch there um, will, be a, will, will always be a real threat. You know, there was three-headed chances that they created from crosses from wide areas. But, but also, it means that the Napoli def- um, defensive line has to include the, the wide players. The wide players have to drop in and defend um, in Gattuso's system. So it limits the amount of time that they can they can obviously bring the ball forward um, and hurt into quickly around the sides. So the higher up the pitch that they can get the win backs and build off of them, either through midfield or, or directly into the box, then it, that, that's a real key for them to create opportunities to, to score from. And then if they decide that they want to they want to come and um, play on the counter a little bit more, this is a, this is an image from from the first game in Serie A where. Lukaku especially was frightening on the counter uh, when they've encouraged Napoli to come on and, and sat sat much deeper. But when, if they're going to sit deeper, they also have to be able to throw punches and counter quickly. So the quicker they can find uh, the front two in in the spaces uh, in and around or in front of the of the back three, it's going to be real key for them to create open spaces for Lukaku especially to run into with Martinez running off of him. So if they can do that. Then they can they can definitely create problems um, with either of those two solutions against the the Napoli uh, defensive organization for sure. I remember the goal that Lukaku scored at um, away at Napoli mm-hmm. uh, on the on a counter attack situation that you you just yeah. explained. He was just he just showcased power 
yeah. speed and just I don't know if you remember the finishing was a left yeah, it was that... an unbelievable finish yeah and, and I think with the with Martinez running off of him you know do you go with the runner do you still stick with the ball you know from a defensive point of view it's really difficult to, to make a decision quickly there absolutely and uh, so why don't we uh, go around and try to predict maybe the results of these games uh, <laughs> I, I kick us off I kind of want to do it um So I'll speak about the Juventus uh, AC Milan game. I think that Juventus will control the game just because results and stats tell us that they are more dominant both collectively and individually. In terms of AC Milan, I think that knowing that they need to score uh, at the same time they don't have to rush things. It's going to be a long game. They are the worst side. Uh, they're missing key players, so they need to stay in the game as long as they can. Take every set piece as it's a situation of uh, uh, life or death and then risk more things as time runs out. Um, what I will say, if I were to just randomly guess, I would say that it's going to be another one-to-one. And if, when this, the game comes to, to PKs, we're going to have a young Donnarumma prevail over an old Buffon and the Simeon is going to clinch at the final. You'd love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I needed to say that, Tom. <laughs> What do you I'm think? Gonna, I'm going to take a counter-narrative on yeah. that. I think Juventus cleans their clocks out. It's 3-0. Ronaldo, Oof. the beast, needs to get fed on this. And I just think it's, it's too much, too fast for an AC Milan team that's just got pieces missing. And yeah, I, missing players, I aren't they? Those pieces are, but I just think it's going to be a blowout and it's going uh, it, to hurt um, AC Milan fans. Sorry, Daniele, but that's, uh, when, you, when, when you have to fight the beast with, with a rock, bad things are going to happen. So, Steve, what's your take? Yeah, for me, Juventus win the game. Uh, I think they've just got a little bit too much, um, like Danny says. AC Milan have to come and try and try and win the game. They've got to get a positive result or at least score um, in the game. I think that plays into Juventus's hands, and I think they'll have too much for for Milan for me. Give me give me a scoreline. Uh, well, the first game was pretty dull, to be honest. I don't expect it to be much different. Uh, one one nil, maybe Juventus um, on the counter. The baller in the pocket runs beyond maybe Ronaldo finishing cutting in off the side. Yeah, mm. one nil. Tom, show some ambition. What, 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 tell us what you think is <laughs> going to happen here. I think Juve are going to win as well. But I do think Milan did well, considering how poor they've been in comparison to Juventus this season. But it's just those missing, those three missing players, Teo Hernandez and uh, Ibrahimovic specifically. Um, I think two new Juventus, that would be my guess. I'll say one thing. Watch out for Ante Rebic. That guy has a lot of motivation. He has <laughs> things. But uh, what about the next game, Steve? Since you were uh, uh, deep into the analysis, give us uh, a scoreline. Yeah, th this one's, this one's going to be a fascinating one. Uh, I think it will depend heavily on what Conte decides to do. Um, but for me, Napoli... Napoli probably win. I say probably because I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I, but I think Napoli, Napoli win the game. Um, they'll dominate possession and depending on whether uh, Lukaku can be dangerous on the counter if, if Inter can, can give you those opportunities but yeah Napoli Napoli are in front and controlling right now um, and they, they probably sneak through you know what I agree I'm a fan of uh, the 4-3-3 and 
I'm a fan of Napoli's numbers in terms of passing. Um, and also, yes, Chris, I am biased toward Gattuso because he was an AC Milan player. You were <laughs> going to say it. I saw your face, Chris. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go with uh, 2-0 Napoli. And I would like to, to, to see at least one goal from Callejon because I just analyzed him. So I want him to, to come back and, uh, and score again. Tom, what's your take? I can't say I've looked at this game in all, all too much depth, but I think I'd agree. I think Napoli will probably win this game. But just because they're just coming back from not playing for months, I think it might be a bit more dull. So I'm just going to go for another uh, 1-0. Well, I wish I could be more dramatic, but I, I think it's going to be a, uh, a uneventful 1-1 and uh, Napoli will, will, will advance. So, um, so nobody believes in uh, Conte, huh? Uh, not this year. So, uh, you know, Lukaku is, is an X factor. He's a beast when he wants to be. Maybe he gets lucky and, and he, he changed the terms of engagement. But I just wonder, uh, particularly with people coming off uh, such a long stay, that are people going to fire on all cylinders? And for the way these teams are set up, I'm just thinking more stalemate. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Fair enough. All right, guys. Well, I think that wraps us up for today. Um, I would like to think, or actually thank uh, Total Football Analysis. They are the largest open source um, analyst network. Um, guys, we've got a great um, couple of games. Uh, we're going to have some things to talk about. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and this is the professor saying bella ciao, bella ciao. Signore e signori, that's all for our show. One more time, I would like to thank Enrico Italian Bistro for their support and the North Carolina FC and North Carolina Courage Soccer Clubs. See you soon, guys. A presto. 